Welcome to Let's Talk Wellness, where we will be sharing insights into the world of mental health and wellness as we explore traditional medicine and holistic healing options. It's time to have new conversations about mental health. Join Mara James, the founder and CEO of the Hugs for Life Healing Center, as she guides us along this journey. And now, let's talk wellness. Welcome to Let's Talk Wellness. I am your host, Mara James, and I want to say thank you for joining us for today's conversation. During Let's Talk Wellness, we focus on healing, understanding, growth, and spirituality. This is part of the Hugs for Life Healing Center, a partner of the nonprofit organization called Extraordinary Lives Foundation, where we are devoted to supporting mental health awareness and providing resources for children and their families. As the founder of these two organizations, I have the great joy of collaborating with a team of amazing people to help bring healing to children and families around the world. You can find out all of our information at elfempowers.org, and you can find the link in the show information. Now, let's talk wellness with today's guest, Lori Woodley Langendorf. Lori is the founder and CEO of All It Takes, a nonprofit organization that develops programming and curriculum to equip youth with those with those who serve and those who serve them, sorry, with essential emotional intelligence skills to successfully navigate their lives and support their communities. Welcome, Lori. Hi, Mara. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm very excited to be here with you. I am so excited to have, or we're so excited to have you. So tell us a little bit about your past and what led you to start um, All It Takes, which you refer to as AIT. Is that correct? Yeah, it's just the fast way, right? But all it takes, yeah. So we've been in um, an organization officially since 2010, but I have been a school counselor and um, practitioner in or facilitator in the mental health world in schools specifically for over 30 years. And I was a public school counselor for 28 years. And, um, you know, we, I started all it takes as a, an arm of extension from what I was doing as an independent counselor on a school campus. Mm -hmm. Some of the things I was doing was outside of the box and, you know, not necessarily understood by a lot of people, but the results were really great. And I knew I needed to do more because long before the pandemic, which then put a whole different lens on things, um, I saw a, a significant change in our kids' ability to navigate life. I mean, part of our mission statement literally is right out of my own experience, right? Like navigate disappointment without complete breakdowns or navigate the ability to say, yes, I did that and it maybe hurt someone else or it hurt me and and I'm okay still. It's a thing I did, not a definition of who I am. And from when I started in public education to when I started All It Takes and then to today, our kid, I, it concerns me um, the amount of ability for our kids to do what we would call social emotional literacy skills, wow. which are predict which are predictors of of healthy mental health. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Everything comes from that, right? Um, so you said before um, things that you do that outside of the box. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I believe that if we don't actually have an experience that activates a feeling, 
we have a really hard time embracing change for ourselves to go through whatever might be challenging to make a change, right? So if we don't feel into why we should practice confidence building skills, if we don't, you know, have an experience of why I should practice courage and approach a teacher or approach, you know, a, a parent, like I'm struggling emotionally or, you know, we can tell our kids constantly do this, do that, do this. And it doesn't change anything. They need to experience the, the why it, it, they need to have an experience to create their why. And if we have a solid enough, why we can step into whatever it takes to get there. But it, when it's just somebody telling us, Hey, just approach a teacher, just tell your parents, 14 year old can hear that. We can't, we couldn't hear it from our parents, but the world's scarier. There's more dangers now than there were when I was a kid anyways. Yeah, me too. (laughs) So our outside the boxes, we're going to actually do something, not just talk about it. I love it. And what age range children are we talking about? Well, our work is really TK through university as far as like our films and our trainings our direct work with youth, our kind of our sweet spot is like fourth grade to 10th grade mm. uh, because I'm very much, and we are as all it takes, very much into prevention. That doesn't mean we don't do things that are intervention um, aligned, but I'm much more interested in preventing our kids from getting to a significant diagnosis. Um, and so earlier, earlier is better. Yes, I love that upstream approach. We can keep taking people out of the uh, stream, but let's go up where they're jumping off the bridge and and prevent that from happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's but I found and I don't tell me. I'm sure you have too. Like, it's hard to do prevention. I always use the example like, okay, take vitamins. We live to a hundred. Do we say these vitamins help me live to a hundred, or I had good genes, or I exercise right? As opposed to the intervention when you you know you have a bacteria and you're taking an antibiotic and that you see the proof. So sometimes um, or often I feel like prevention, as much as we keep, you know, focusing on it, it's hard to tell if it works. And a lot of people don't want to do anything until there's that crack in the rock to, you know, let the light come in. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. That's my experience. It's so challenging to get um, systems to invest in prevention in significant ways. because you can't see it like you're talking about, right? Take that vitamin. I live long. You, It's not necessarily a direct quantitative measure, right? And all people who want the research and the numbers. And we know qualitatively, though, that the difference is significant. And teachers can tell you how kids start to learn when they start to trust a classroom and how kids behavior shifts when they feel belonging. And when people practice it, um, enthusiastically and with fidelity, there's definitely a change. But again, it's not quantitative because you have a great fourth grade class with a really invigorated fourth grade teacher. And then you have a fourth grade class where the kids are not doing so well. And how do you measure that when they're in their senior year? Right. So I agree with you. And I think it's short-sighted, you know, I used to dance around that, but it's short-sighted because 
I'm sure you have this experience when we are in intervention mode, whether it's, you know, a suicidal ideation or it's drug use or it's, you know, behaviors that are like super just dangerous behaviors, changing what, you know, unringing a bell is really hard. And so the the outcomes of intervention for me are unacceptable. We're not getting enough solid wellness through prevention, I mean, through intervention practices where we're getting much more solid wellness from a student or a child, a young adult who literally comes up through learning these things. So when something big happens in their life, they're not in a puddle on the ground or they're not throwing a chair across a, a room, which we know is a mental health thing, but a teacher who's dealing with that, teacher who's getting called a terrible name, a parent who's got a kid slamming doors and breaking, you know, putting holes in the walls, we know that's an emotional stressor breakdown. <laughs> but in their moment, they're just seeing an out of control child. Right. And so I'd much rather, you know, have our children be able to be in control, even when they're an upset. Absolutely right. The positive, you know, learning all you know, emotions are important, the good, the bad. And, you know, if you're feeling anxious, it's, there's something maybe that's trying to keep you safe and, and analyzing it. I definitely love, um, you know, teaching the ABCs of emotions, right? So important. Um, and are you in L.A. County? We're up in Ventura County, but just okay. over the LA County line. So pretty close. Right. Yeah. So for us, um, our board, our one of our board members attended a county meeting last week in Orange County, and they're cutting back substantially funding for prevention and early in prevention. And I think maybe early intervention, which is so the uh, such the opposite way. It just blows my mind. How, how do we, how does that happen when like suicide rates are rising Behavior in schools is out of control at exponentially increasing ways. The behaviors we used to see maybe in a ninth grader, 16-year-old, a 10-year-old, we're now seeing in a six-year-old. Like, I don't know how we can't look around at what's happening and, and say, maybe we don't have all the answers yet, but we can't stop seeking the answers like that that's my thing like let's just take it away take off the funding and we're just going to see more and more school violence more yeah. and more suicide attempts and and devastatingly loss more and more just kids who can't get themselves to school kids who can't see themselves in their own future oh right so like heartbreaking and then self-medicating, right? Yeah, that, listen, that, yeah. And the parents that, and listen, I, I'm, I'm not pro or con meds. Medications needed, it's needed. And when my son for his ADHD needed, it was night and day. I think it was third grade. It was night and day. Oh my gosh! And when somebody, you know, you know, when some parents just won't medicate and they're not, and the kid is suffering, it breaks my heart. Yep, I, I want I, to do well if they can. Sorry, go on. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was just going to say third grade is my experience as a school counselor with a student and meds like I used to came out of college, you know, like all, you know, Pollyanna, like, you know, we don't need those ever. And 
And then I had what you're speaking of with your son. I had that. I was an intern still, still getting my credential and running groups at an elementary school. And this student from one week to the next, and he was always in trouble. And just, he came to me once a week and he felt loved and, but he just never felt successful in the classroom because, oh, he wasn't being successful in a classroom. Right. And from one week to the next, this young, adorable little human who was just like, has a whole life in front of him, walks in my room and he's like, ah, and he's all excited. And that wasn't a bad thing. It was just an excited, like, no, you got to hear this. And he's like, for the first time in my whole life, I could hear the teacher. I still remember that was like close to 30 years ago. And I remember his face. I remember the light in his eyes. I remember how he felt the experience of success because, because he, he was taking medication or what changed because, he had t- because his parents had started him on an attention medicine. Now I am not the first at all, like go there first. No, but just it's all prevention, right? So look at all the pieces and look at, you know, not only meds, but the behavior modifications and the training that go like, you know, a diabetic, a diabetic needs meds, but they also need a lifestyle and behavior change around eating and around exercise, right? So whatever we have, there's a, you know, quite a few ways to address the situation. Um, And I just think we shouldn't stop Oh, addressing yeah. it however, and, until we find the answers. Right. Unbelievable. And what's amazing, I want parents to know, like my son, you know, was on that medicine for ADHD and he was on Zoloft for um, irritability from Asperger's. He is 24 and he's off of all of his medication, which is beautiful. And and if he had to be on it, you know, sometimes I wish we would just go on Zoloft and not be so irritable. But then this is where mom stopped pushing his buttons. And, he, you know, I'm the only one that makes him irritable, apparently. But, um, yeah, it, it's so important, that whole upstream. And, you know, the other um, challenge is, you know, when we grew up, I, my, I had zero for two for parents. I never learned how to, you know, my parents didn't communicate. I didn't learn it. I wasn't able to teach it to my children. So helping parents to help themselves, to help their children and the teachers too. I spoke to a teacher this week in a third grade and I bit my tongue really hard when she was sharing her opinion. And she was very judgmental about her students and blaming it on the parents and all this. And it, you know, and to me, it's like being compassionate as opposed to judgmental as a, you know, parent or a teacher is so important. And we need to, you know, helping, you know, that's why it's funny. My husband's an OBGYN and I just had somebody reach out yesterday, like, what are your thoughts about working with pregnant women? I'm like, absolutely. Like if we can, you know, we did something called the Empowering Pregnant Moms class. And, you know, again, like sometimes you're just pregnant, you're just worried about having a healthy delivery. You're not worried about, you know, your emotions and how it's affecting your child. Right. So, um, yeah, I think all of us coming together just need to do a better job helping anybody that works with children, right? Because they're going to have a direct impact. Yes. And in 2020, when we did our first film that went worldwide and in all 50 states on our tiny little organizational website for free in service to educators and parents, like it, it went crazy viral because It was so much like we see you, we know you're dealing with a lot, and we still need to do more for our kids. But we're not going to dismiss you as the teacher who is 
having at that point, now it's behaviors. And at that point it was Zoom education. And I, I mean, it was just insane, right? The last few years have been insane. And I think that one of the things that I really came to me, and I think you, you know, I think you operate this way, Mara, is like, we have to be working with the adults. Like you said, your parents couldn't train you. My parents couldn't either. I saw my mom's upset when she threw a fit. Right. Right. Like I saw her upsets, which now I understand is unnamed emotions that she was coping with that we didn't really know. Right. At the time and never really learned how to do that. Um, And when I think of the best way to reach our kids, we have to start with us. And so we wrote these or I wrote these five adult SEL muscles. Right. Like oh, that'll change your life, help you navigate all the stressors and let you go home at night or go to bed at night, whether it's your a parent or you're an educator, feeling like you did bring your best self and that you can separate like what I'm doing for you, young person, and what you're giving back to me is not personal. That's one of the muscles, right? And if we can navigate our own well-being emotionally in a better way than when we're modeling for our kids, how they can do it in a better way. We're modeling for our kids, the voicing of what we think like storytelling, instead of like, I'm going to tell you a story, you shouldn't do this. And it feels like a story where somebody's like, you ought not to, because I did that. And it was a bad thing. So don't do it. Or you don't understand how good you have it. You have all these phones and we didn't have any of that. And like, well, they don't, have any identification with what we didn't have. And it is such a shocking thing to me that we want to tell our kids that they should appreciate what they have that we've given them. So we gave it to them. And now we they we should they should feel kind of obligated and guilty because they have those things because we gave them those things because we didn't have those things. Like we're messing our kids up so often, right? Like Always. but if <laughs> But if we can recognize that, right, and tell the story from, wow, I didn't have these phones, but I understand what it was like to have things taken away from me. So when I was a kid, I didn't have, you know, when I got in trouble, I lost my bike and that was everything to me. So I understand that you're frustrated when I'm taking your phone because I understand what it feels like to have something removed. So for me, that's a way to start to learn how to work with our kids. So we're not inadvertently pushing them away from us into more isolation, back around to more um, loneliness, which we know is then creating more mental health struggles. And so often as educators and parents, our hearts are so in the right place and we're just kind of off on our delivery and little bits of tweaks and a little bit of training. And we can do it so different that we're actually bringing our kids towards us instead of pushing them away from us. I love that. Um, And it's so funny because, you know, when we respond to somebody, we're responding from like our traumatized, big T, little T, hurt, like inner child, right? And we're not even cognizant. So to tell a teacher or a parent to be more mindful about it, Sometimes in the moment, you can't even be mindful. It's that reactive. So which is so interesting. And which is then like, let's analyze that and like heal that stuff so we can be a better parent, a better teacher. 
Um, or learn or learn like our autopilot is to punch or to speak ugly or to withdraw whatever our autopilot is, which is coming from our wiring from right. you know, our, whole- our parents. I mean, not to point fingers, but we, you yeah. know, it's like, oh my gosh, I just sound like my parent, God forbid. Right. Yeah. But we can learn like we we think our, we're, we're teaching our kids. Like when you're in an upset, here are some choices. You could breathe. You could go for a walk. You could say, Hey, not a good time to talk. Can I have five minutes? Like we can teach some skills and then teach the recognition of, Oh, it's coming. The upset is starting to rise. And we pay attention to that in our bodies. And we pay attention to that in what's going to come out our mouth or, you know, out of our hands or whatever. We can teach those skills to kids, but a lot of times adults are more resistant to it. Yeah. But we have to learn those skills too. Absolutely. I can't teach somebody geometry if I don't know it myself, right? Exactly that. Yep. I say all the time. Oh my gosh. I can't believe you said that because I say a lot. We have to teach educators and parents how to build trusted spaces, which is our whole platform, because some people just naturally get it. Just like in math, some kids like that was not me in school. Some kids, I'm like looking at them, the teacher says three words and they've got all the problems done. I need three days to get through through those problems. And I think to build spaces where everyone feels like they belong has to be taught for most of us because we don't ask a math teacher to teach calculus without knowing math. Exactly what you said is exactly, that's the analogy I use all the time. So I think we're on the same page. You think? (laughs) Um, We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I can't wait to hear you mentioned about five SEL, social emotional learning muscles, and your documentary that you have, I believe it's now six, a series of six trusted space. So we'll be right back and we can't wait to hear that information. In these shifting and changing times, more and more lives are being impacted by mental health. The Extraordinary Lives Foundation, also known as ELF, is transforming the way people view and navigate mental health challenges. Their mission is to improve children's mental health and wellness and support families by providing educational tools, resources, and awareness events. ELF encourages families to recognize symptoms, overcome the stigma, and reach out for help. Through prevention, early intervention, and holistic treatment, we believe many of the big problems facing today's youth can be transformed within a generation. Extraordinary Lives Foundation is excited to offer the Hugs for Life Healing Center, growing a worldwide network of approved holistic healers and bridging the gap between traditional and complementary healing options. Visit the Extraordinary Lives Foundation website at www.elfempowers.org to find out more about their resources and events. Together, we can change the conversation around mental health. We hope that you're enjoying today's Let's Talk Wellness podcast. And if you have a topic that you would like us to explore, we would love to hear from you. Simply email us at info at elfempowers.org. That's info at elfempowers.org. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Let's Talk Wellness. I'm your host, Mary James, and today we're speaking with Lori Woodley Langendorf. Welcome back, Lori. Hey, glad to be back. It's a fun conversation. Yeah. So we talked about a lot of um, 
issues that are going on. And now I know you have great answers and solutions to share with us. So if you could start with uh, first with the five SEL, social emotional learning muscles that you mentioned, love to hear about that. Yeah, so the we have 10 actual muscles, but we really like, I really have the most fun talking about the adult SEL muscles, social emotional learning or social emotional literacy, the five muscles that we talk about that really can change a person's life in a struggle with kids, an, a disruptive classroom, an unhappy dinner table, right? Like wherever we are with kids, um, those five adult muscles that we train on are the first muscle one is what we like to call Q-tip. It's quit taking it personal. You know, we so often, everything that a kid does we're like, how dare you? I work hard for you. You know, you don't understand. You don't, de- I don't deserve that. Like all of the I things. And the minute we personalize an upset from a child and not give them benefit of the doubt that whatever's happening with them is a statement of their need. What they're doing is not okay with me. Like it's not okay to be yelled at, to be cursed at, to be spit at, to be thrown things at. Like none of that is okay. So not taking it personal isn't giving permission for behaviors that really need some help, but it does remove us from the emotional upset. So we don't go home and then treat our own family worse because we're in such an upset mood, right? Like, so when we can separate, we stay balanced, we stay calm, can you know, the mirror neurons in our latest film talk about if we're calm, there's more of a chance of it bringing calm to someone else. So when you upset meets upset, which escalates upset and escalates more upset, then we're actually literally just making the situation worse. And so the first muscles, um, Q-tip, quit taking it personal. That is amazing. It's profound. And where were you like 20 years ago? I mean, and and, I, and it sounds so easy. And just personally, it's, I mean, even today, I'm 57 years old and I am so sensitive and take everything so personally. And it's like, Mara, it's their issue. It's not yours. But that little girl is just like, yeah, I have to talk well, to but her. Mara, like the fact that you can say that is a step forward, right? Like I, we're all just human. So that's where I like to also say, our youth, our youngs, our littles, and us adults, 57 on 58, we've got 35, we've got 25, like we're all just humans. And so in an emotional um, environment or atmosphere, the amount of different emotions are varied by personalities, right? And emotions are real. And we just somehow have just skipped over that, right? So I think it's important to look at all of this, not just as, oh, those kids need it, but how do I become a better human that I feel proud of? How do I become a human who, when I go home to my family, I still have bandwidth and energy and excitement and I'm not exhausted and it's like my own kids get the worst of me. And then I go to bed feeling guilty because- the people who matter the most to me aren't getting the best of me. And so then it's a cycle. I get up in the next morning. And, and so I feel like when we can bring our best muscles, we have the best opportunity to be the best version of ourselves. And we're never going to be the best version of ourselves 
until we're done because there's always a, a, a little bit more. And sometimes it's a big leap we need. And sometimes it's a little bit, or it's a little tweak or, and it starts with just that self talk, you know, your little voice. that's like, Mara, it's them. And the more you say it and the more you step into like, okay, now I'm going to go for a fast paced walk because I, I understand the concept and now I need my body to, to match. So I'm going to go for a quick walk. And when I come back, I'll be reset and I'll be able to do this better. I love it. So one more thing that I was thinking about, um, like for us, I think men have a harder time with this than women, but for us to like lower our ego enough to say, Hey, I'm not perfect. Yeah. Well that, yes. Um, the ego is a big thing right now. I have five muscles, but I'm writing a book that's going to be seven muscles because there's a couple more that I want to add. But, um, for right now, we'll, we'll just do, you know, the five and our, the ego is what keeps us from deciding that learning to be a better human, a happier human, a more self-actualized human, a more balanced human. Like we have, in order to, to be those things, we have to say there's areas for growth. Yeah. And I don't want to call them weaknesses. They're areas for growth. I also like to call us, I like to talk about superpowers and kryptonites because when you look up kryptonite, actually, it is the way that it talks about it, like in, you know, Webster's, it talks about kryptonites being something that makes an otherwise strong person weak. So it's, it's, it's not something that is a broken piece. Like it's just, here is a thing that takes a strong actual human and takes a certain strength and have it appear weak. So it's not a weakness. It's an area. So, and that's how I like to look at it. So anyways, um, so I'll just quickly rattle. I won't go through so much of the detail in the others, but the other muscles, the second one is I statements, reframing our conversations from you, you, you to I, I'm experiencing, I feel because the minute I say, well, if you were late, the minute I come across as the you, it's a little aggressive or a little whiny. And the other person on the other side, what do you feel when I'm like, well, you, if I just were, was, you know, we were in something and I was like, well, Mary, you just did that to me. Your instant reaction is what? Defense. Right. And so we now, you know, taking it personal, then I say you did it so I can deflect my own responsibility in it. And now I have an even bigger power struggle. Yeah. Wow. And so then the third one and the one, two, and three really go together. Like they balance each other's, our, our ability to communicate well with another human is really these three. And the third one is recognizing is we call ask versus tell. And it's a concept of learning to recognize need. I need to belong. I need to feel safe. I need to feel heard. I need to feel a part of, right? Because usually those feelings and those needs turn into we what we do is upsets and angers because they're not met, but we're not voicing them. We're not really discovering and uncovering what we need and then voicing it. So if I recognize that I need calm in my classroom 
And I can say, look, I'm recognizing that I'm feeling anxious and my anxiety is growing. So my patience is getting smaller because I'm experiencing the sense of ineffectiveness. And I want to feel effective as a teacher for you in class. And so I understand that you have something going on that I can't address right now. But if I could have five minutes, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to get everybody else settled. It's going to, I'm going to meet your needs when I understand what they are. And here's what, that's what I need from you. And when we can identify need and speak it in an I statement without taking what's going on personal, everything in our environment changes. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. So those are, those are the three. Then four is storytelling. We already talked about that in the beginning, telling stories that relate to feeling rather than the event, because our kids cannot understand the life we lived, nor could we, you know, understand our parents' lives. For sure. Right. And then the last one is walking the talk, right? We just get, we are all asking kids to be nice to each other, to be patient, to do their homework, to believe in their future. We're asking them to do all those things, but we're not necessarily modeling best practices in that. It's so true. And these kids are representing so many things. I have a client who's so angry with what's going on with the war in Israel. And she's like, my daughter's three years old that I keep getting called that she's having meltdowns in school. And she's so angry. I'm like, look at that. She's mirroring you. Let's work on yours to help minimize hers. And you know, it's so amazing. Wow. Um, that those are amazing. You know what, when your book is done ready, we're going to have another podcast. We want to get into more, even more details. Um, so I know we have a limited time left. So let's talk about your amazing documentary series. Um, are there six series of six right now? So the new series is, will be six films. We're rolling them out as we get them edited. We did all of the footage last um, April and May. So it's very current. Uh, and it's um, called A Trusted Space, Meeting the Moment is the series. And then each of the six films have a specific um, like target uh, education ecosystem. So that could be everybody in education, some students and parents, anybody who has kids in the in, in education or we're teaching kids or, you know, being the principal of students. Um, the film series is a support to educators, one first recognizing what you're going through right now. If you're a parent or an educator, right now, it's really hard with kids. Behaviors are out of control. That's the newest film in the series. Film three is called Decoding Behavior, the intersection between neuroscience and behavior. There, you know, it's, not okay that these behaviors are happening in classrooms and there are reasons, but I like to talk about, there's a lot of always reasons, but there's not an excuse. So how are we going to teach our kids to understand that I have a reason for my upset, but the excuse to throw a chair is not okay. So what do I do to not throw the chair and also really get my needs met in whatever is truly underlying the upset? And so it's so powerful. I'm just speaking about the one, but there'll be six. Um, The first two are really about the current state of education for parents and educators um, and students. Second one is all about the neuroscience, both for educators and for the students. And then the third, I mean, the fourth and our fifth and sixth videos will be um, about the power of community and how it really does 
take the village. We're not going to raise our kids um, well in isolation of the world at large. Um, so how do we do that? And if we don't feel welcome at a, at a school as a parent, what can the school do for us? And if I'm an angry parent, what does the school need from me so that we can together work to solve the, the situation that are going on with our kids? So it's a, it's a launch from the 2020 film, A Trusted Space, Redirecting Grief to Growth. That was a very pandemic centric. There's a lot of Zoom interviews and people are like, no, 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 I don't want to watch films like that anymore. I don't want to see masks in the background. And so um, all the information is actually very current still, yeah. but we've reshot it all so that we have new, you know, returning and new experts um, powerful student voices, powerful parent voices, and educator voices to uh, help us all navigate um, to another side of wellness. Because right now, wellness is not the top priority. It's not. Definitely. But, but you said um, when we spoke previously that the pandemic really shined a light on what was already a problem that no one spoke about. So at least we're starting to talk about mental health, right? Yeah. And I think as a counselor, a lot of us saw the mental health decline prior to the pandemic and were worried, aka why I started AIT to go bigger with some of my messaging. But I think it didn't get as much credibility and it didn't get as much attention as the pandemic shed the light. And there's no one who came through the pandemic unscathed. So you can no longer say, oh, it's them or it's those kids, or it's that family, or it's that bad parenting, or it's that bad teacher, or it's that bad kid, right? We can't say that anymore because all of us understand the impact of what the pandemic was and nobody was left untouched. Yeah, amazing. And what's the, how can people watch um, the documented series when it comes out? So the, you can access these films for free right now at a trustedspace.org or allittakes.org. They both take you to both. And you can find both the original film, the, you know, the three films that are currently launched, and then a bunch of shorts too that are just like, if you only have five minutes, but you're super interested in what might be going on neurologically with your child, there's a, there's a short on it. Um, and all the films are between eight and 20 minutes. So everything is doable. And uh, wow. it's really powerful to listen to other people's voices who are literally in the trenches. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll put the, um, the website information in the show li links. Um, and what's the best way for people to get in touch with you directly? Um, directly to me is Lori at all it takes.org, but probably would prefer them to go to the website and go to AIT at all it takes.org. And, you know, what can we do for you? What are you interested in? Um, and then I have, you know, a team who can help get you to where you want to be. We're not really all that big, but we're putting out really big and powerful things. And so, um, yeah, contact us because we'd love to hear from you. Beautiful. And I know your children, I think, are older, similar to mine. Mine are in their 20s. Um, what would you, if you could tell yourself um, as a parent something, what would you go back and tell yourself? Explore your own feelings and then share them with your kids. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was an open parent compared to my mom, but my kids will tell you now that I was not. Right. <laughs> Right. And you were open compared to your mom, right? Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. Um, That is so beautiful. And I really love what you're saying, because if we don't change, it's going to affect our relationship with our children. They are so they have that sixth sense. They know what we're thinking. They know what we're feeling. You know, my daughter can feel my husband's eyes like, you know, just but is, you know, like glaring at her when he's doing, she's doing something maybe that he doesn't like, and he doesn't even, he's not even aware of it. And it's just so like being transparent with our kids too. So important. Transparency and not being afraid. I think in this newest film, you know, or actually in the original film, um, meeting the moment, you know, I say as an expert in the film, you know, we need to not be afraid of what our kids will say to us. And I can look back and think, I think I was a bit afraid of what my kids might say and the insecurity in knowing what to do with it or to help them. And, and even though I was a practitioner, this is what I did. I was trained in this when I was the mom, it was not as easy. And yeah, uh, we want our kids to like, love us, right? Yes, but there's a time when they're not our best friends and they are our children. And, you know, we do need to in- uh, empower them versus enabling them. Yes. I call that save versus serve. Oh, beautiful. Okay. Mm-hmm. Saving our kids versus serving our kids. And if every time we do something with them, we're looking from that perspective, it can help us, you know, move through the temper tantrum rather than give into it because yeah. giving into it is saving them, moving through it and helping them move through it is serving them yeah so. definitely for a better future beautiful Lori. it's been such a pleasure having you and to you and all of our friends watching and listening you are amazing thank you for joining us for this episode of let's talk wellness this podcast has been brought to you by the hugs for life healing center a division of the extraordinary lives foundation a 501c3 nonprofit organization If you would like to listen to more conversations like this, we invite you to subscribe to our mailing list at www.elfempowers.org to be notified when our weekly episodes are published. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to bringing you our next conversation on Let's Talk Wellness.